This morning, we are continuing our series, Equipped on the Way, looking at what the Gospel of Luke has to say to us to help to live our lives today as missionary disciples, followers of Jesus who share the goodness of God wherever we go in our words and in the way that we live our lives. And this week, we're going to be looking at Luke 12 together, the first part, verses 13 to 21. And we're looking at the parable of the rich fool. And we're going to be talking predominantly today about greed. And it's a challenging passage for us, just as much as it was for the first people that Jesus told this story to. It goes against so much of what society tells us. It goes against so much of our human instinct as well. Jesus, when he teaches, he talks so much about greed. He talks so much about possessions and loads about money. In fact, Jesus talks more about money and material wealth than he does about prayer and how we can have faith. Money is a really big issue that Jesus tackles head on. And my prayer for us this morning as we explore this passage together is that God would stir something within us, that he'd speak to each one of us and that God would be the one that challenges us this morning. That we'd be asking these questions, does my material wealth, does the way that I am dealing with money and my possessions line up with what scripture teaches and what God is calling each one of us to do and the way he's calling us to live? I want us to ask the question this morning, are we being rich towards God? That's the big question for us today. I'm going to pray and then we'll read this passage together. Lord, this morning we say we believe. Help our unbelief. Lord, come and speak to each one of us today. Stir something in our hearts afresh. May we hear your voice. Amen. Luke 12, starting at verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, that very night your life will be demanded from you then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So our passage today falls right within a huge section of Jesus's teaching. If you've got a Bible that uh, puts Jesus's teaching in red letters like I have here, you're going to get a lot of red text over these next few chapters. And right at the beginning 
of chapter 12, it tells us that thousands had gathered and one of them calls out to Jesus, teacher. Firstly, we can note that Jesus is respected by the people gathered around him. They're beginning to recognise his authority and his ability to teach. He's been called teacher, which is a word for a respected rabbi. And he's asked a question that's quite normal for a rabbi, something that Jews would often take uh, to rabbis to help them settle their disputes. And this person's come to Jesus again in this way, another sign of respect. They're valuing what he has to say. But I'm guessing they were not expecting the response he gave them. And it might seem a little bit odd to us too. You see, Jesus is not fulfilling the traditional rabbinic role here. He is the greater teacher. Jesus replied, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Hang on a sec. Surely Jesus is the one who can judge us. Jesus did not come to be that sort of judge. That's the kind of judge that they were expecting him to be. See, he wasn't interested in trivial or legal things. He wasn't interested in family disputes like that. He came to be instead the judge of our character, our moral standing. Jesus, Jesus came to judge the attitudes of our hearts. And that's where he takes his response. He challenges character. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. That's his response. See, Jesus goes straight to the heart of the matter here. And that was greed. This man was coming with an attitude of greed. He wanted what he wanted, what he thought was his. And Jesus goes on to tell us this parable of the rich fool that we've just read together. And I think the big question again that we see in this parable that was directed to this man who wanted his inheritance was that question, was he being rich towards God? Does the way that he was thinking about his material wealth reflect kingdom values that Jesus was teaching? And I think that's the same question for us. Is our material wealth reflecting the kingdom values that Jesus teaches? Are we being rich towards God? What's taking the higher place in our lives? Is it God or is it money? Before we go any further, I want to clearly say that this is a message for each one of us today. You might be sitting here thinking, I am not rich. This doesn't apply to me. But in reality, we are all rich. If you earn the average UK household income, and I'm knowing that a lot of us might not reach this, but some of us are going to be way more than this. But the average household income now is 36, just above 36,000 in the UK. And if you're a household of two adults and two children, that puts you in the top 9% of richest people in the world. That means 90%, 91% of the world is poorer than you are if you're the average UK household. We can mess around with the averages and with the numbers. We can take slightly different figures, but it all shows that if we're born into this nation, we are rich. We are truly blessed. We're born into a country with an amazing welfare system. No matter what you think of it, we are blessed. There are opportunities that we have that others don't. 
We're rich in so many ways, not just in our money, but in our possessions, in our knowledge, in our education. We have so much stuff in our lives. There is opportunity for greed in so many areas of our lives. And I think this parable is a challenge for all of us. So let's look a bit more at this parable together. A rich man yields an abundant harvest. See, here we could say that God has blessed him. There's nothing to suggest that he's gained this harvest wrongly here, that he's become rich out of bad motive. Because we know that everything that we have is a gift from God. So God has blessed this harvest and it's abundant. So he's in a bit of a dilemma. What does he do? What would you do? Let's put a modern day example on it. If you were going to get a windfall tomorrow, if your boss surprised you by saying you've got a big bonus coming, what would you do? Remember that we're in a slightly different time here. So money and possessions are not as they were today. And you didn't have Tesco's at the end of the road. Part of your wealth was your food, the harvest that you stored. And if we're going to relate this parable to today, we need to think quite often in this, in not just in terms of possessions, but in monetary value as well. The money that we hold in the bank, the thing that we're storing up, the thing that's going to keep us going through that difficult patch, keep us going through the winter season when the harvest isn't coming. So Jesus tells us what this man did. He built bigger barns and he kept it all for himself. And that's the problem. His decision when he got this abundant harvest was entirely self-centered and self-indulgent. It was a decision that was based on greed, not on generosity. God had been generous to him in giving him that abundant harvest, but he was not generous back towards God. God had given him the opportunity here to invest in others, to invest in kingdom things, but he had not done that. He had been rich towards himself rather than God. It's really interesting, I think, the positioning of this parable here. Luke's the only one of the gospel writers to record it. And it comes right before Jesus' teaching on not worrying, about trusting that God is our provider. And Anne's going to speak more on that next week. But in Luke 29, in that passage for next week, it says, do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. It goes on in verse 31, but seek his kingdom and these things will be given to you as well. See, greed comes when our priority in life is money and possessions rather than God. That same verses about do not set your heart on what you'll eat and drink, trust in God, put things of the kingdom first. They come in Matthew's gospel as well. And right before that in Matthew's gospel, he records really similar things to what this parable is saying. It's often interesting where we compare what different gospel writers have remembered of the story or what angle they're going to take on Jesus' teaching, which bits they choose to record. Because you remember, these really short books are recording three years of Jesus' ministry. So it's only a snapshot into what they're saying. But in Matthew 6, right before these passages on do not worry, talking about God's provision, in verse 19 it says, Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. It goes on in verse 24, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God 
how many? It's a very, very similar teaching, but just put in a slightly different way. See, we have a choice in how we're going to live. We can either trust that God provides and put our energy into things of the kingdom, being rich towards God and building up our treasure in heaven, or we can trust in our own ability and put ourselves first, like the rich fool did in the parable, storing up things for himself rather than storing up his treasure in heaven. See, we see in the last verses of this passage where Jesus offers this challenge. We've got a choice between focusing on the here and now, our own needs, the things that can't go with us, or we can focus on what we're building in the eternal kingdom of God. Money and wealth in scripture is always treated with a little bit of caution. Jesus offers us a really different way of looking at money and material possessions to what the world around us says and what the world around Jesus said as well has not changed. Jesus teaches us to hold money more lightly. He challenges us just to give it away sometimes. Think about the, the story of the rich young ruler where he challenges him to give everything away. Jesus challenges us to share what we have with others. And most importantly, he challenges us to trust that he will provide for us. Now, what I'm not saying here is that God is calling us into poverty. He's not telling us to be poor. It's not about self-denial. Remember that God is the God who loves to bless us. God is a God who loves to give good things to his children. But he does bless us to be a blessing to others. I also want to caution us here that this is not telling us not to save up. It's okay to have a savings account and save for a holiday. It's okay to save up for a new car. It's okay to save up to have some a buffer there for maybe for a little bit of a rainy day because that is wise stewardship of our money. What this is telling us not to save out of greed, not to become self-indulgent, not to put our trust in our money, but to put our trust in God, not to allow our money to dictate what we're doing here on earth, but to use our money and our possessions and our wealth to invest in things of the kingdom. We'll need to hold before God what we do with our savings and how we use our money each differently before God. And God might call each one of us to do different things. I want to finish uh, by telling you a couple of stories. When I uh, finished uni, um, I was thinking about going into ministry and um, I had a couple of options. Uh, I was offered some internships that were paid for. Um, I was also um, offered uh, the opportunity to apply for a job that had a really good salary, free accommodation, a free car, and I was also then offered something else. And um, I knew in my heart that at that moment, God was calling me to do something different. You see, what I was originally looking at was things that provided for myself. God, in fact, called me to go and do a year called Form, a form you'll know about that has been run in St Barnabas previously. I did Form in Sheffield where um, I went into it without a job, without any money. Um, I didn't have a house. I didn't have anything. And I knew in that moment that God was challenging me. Tim, are you going to go after greed, after the money, the money that's there if you want it? Or are you going to turn your life and focus on things of the kingdom? This year, are you going to lay up treasures in heaven? Why are you thinking about laying up treasures on earth?
And do you know what? God provided everything I need. I've got amazing stories of God's provision for me throughout that year and the years that followed. God was so generous towards me. But even more so, I learned so much about who God is. I was able to spend that year trying to align my life to the things of God's kingdom. And I learned so much during that time. And actually, do you know what? I was so much more happier doing that than I would have been going off and earning the money with the free house and the free car. God was the God who provided. While I was on my form year, um, I got the opportunity to go to Romania on a mission trip to work with an organisation called Networks who work uh, among the Roma gypsy community who live in some of the rural parts of Romania. And there was a guy there who, uh, he was uh, back in the 90s, a very, very wealthy lawyer. He earned so much money. One of the things, one of the things he told us that sticks with me is that uh, he had so much money that he had his bed sheets changed every other day just because he could afford to. But God called him to do something different. See, God called him to give it all up. His life was based on greed, self-indulgence, and building, building kind of the financial wealth for himself, becoming the best he could. But God called him to go and work with the Roma community in Romania, to work with street children. And he lost everything in doing so. He lost all of his money. But God blessed him abundantly. When you meet him today, he's a man of spiritual authority, a man of joy, and a man who's full of testimony of what God has done, which is so much greater than material things. They now work with thousands of, of the Roma community over there. Thousands of people who are now in jobs. Thousands of people who now have education. And that's because he chose to give up the lifestyle of greed and focus on things of the kingdom. What are some of the practical things so, that we can do today? Because I know those are quite extreme examples, but I think there are some practical things that we can do that Jesus can call us to. Maybe it's time today to sit and go over your finances, to sit down in households and ask the question, am I being rich towards God? For some of us, I think that might just mean simply that we need to give God a bit more. Actually, that we need to prioritise our giving to God first. For some of us, I think that might mean that we need to share what we have with others. One of the most exciting things that I think we see in scripture from the early church is that they shared everything they had. Nobody went without. If you know someone who's struggling at the moment financially in the church, just go and bless them. Give them what they need if you can. Maybe another challenge for us from this is to look at what we're spending. Not just to where our money, what money's coming in and where we're giving, but to look at actually what we've spent it on. To think, did I actually need that thing? Was that motive for what I bought out of greed? Or was it because I genuinely need it? Maybe it's to think about the things that we're buying. Uh, maybe we could support a local business instead of going to a chain store that's supporting the greed of an owner. I know that's, again, quite a, 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 an assumption that I'm making there. But actually, do you know what? Some of the things we buy necessarily aren't always ethically that great. At the moment, Emily and I are taking some couples through the pre-marriage course. And last week, we were looking um, at finances briefly. And John Kirkby, the founder of Christians Against Poverty, said something really good 
uh, within that course. He said, couples who do not let money control them set a budget. So maybe a practical thing today, if you've not got a budget, is to set a budget that's focused towards God, that's focused towards being rich towards God. And I think for some of us, this call might be even deeper still, that actually we need to really look at our lives, think, is my job being rich towards God? Is the way that I live my life being rich towards God? Maybe it's not just these small things, but maybe for some of us today, we need to begin to make some big changes so that our lives are rich towards God and are not centred upon ourselves. I want to finish now by reading um, a prayer. I was sent this lovely book this week, which is a book of prayers from the Puritan church from the 16th to 17th century. And I just want to read some of this prayer, really, really challenging prayer to finish today. And it's a prayer for contentment. So let's pray this together. Heavenly Father, if I should suffer need and go unclothed and be in poverty, make my heart prize thy love. Know it, be constrained by it, though I be denied all blessings. If it is thy mercy to afflict and try me with wants, for by these trials I see my sins and desire severance from them. Let me willingly accept misery, sorrows, temptations, if I can thereby feel sin as the greatest evil and be delivered from it with gratitude to thee, acknowledging this as the highest testimony of thy love. When thy son Jesus came into my soul instead of sin, he became more dear to me than sin had formerly been. His kindly rule replaced sin's tyranny. When I'm afraid of evils to come, comfort me by showing me that in myself I am dying, a dying, condemned wretch, that in Christ I am reconciled and live, that in myself I find insufficiency and no rest, that in Christ there is satisfaction and peace, that in myself I am feeble and unable to do good, that in Christ I have ability to do all things. Though now I have his graces in part, I shall shortly have them perfectly in that state where thou wilt show thyself fully reconciled and alone sufficient, loving me completely with sin abolished. O Lord, hasten that day. Amen.